Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham, coming at you today, nearly live, from Ottawa, Ontario, doing something a little different today. If you remember, about a month ago, we released on this channel the first episode in a five-part series entitled How We Helped stories from Eastern Ontario social workers. And in that episode, it looked at some of the early days of social work here in Eastern Ontario, but a lot of the themes apply broadly across the country. And we got such great feedback on that. I wanted to share the second episode in that series. This one is called A Human Touch, The People of Social Work. And I, I, I really enjoyed the whole series, but this one in particular, holds a special place for me, episode two, because in putting this one together, I learned so much about the background of the individuals. And it's one of these cool things that when you do a lot of textual history and you're looking at documents and and what was kept and, and what you're looking at, it is a lot of policy and it's a lot of discussions about, you know, membership or finances, that kind of stuff. And what we found in a lot of the oral histories that I used and that I, I conducted the interviews that you get more of the backstory. Who are the people behind these things? And, and you hear their voices and you see their faces and cases and you get a better sense of who they are and the names in those documents really come to life. So I really enjoyed putting this one together. And some of the stories are really quite remarkable. You go back to an individual who enlisted in the army in the Second World War as a social worker, and you get a sense of what her story is, for instance. So I really wanted to share this episode of the series with you all here on the channel. So again, this is part two of How We Helped, stories from Eastern Ontario social workers entitled A Human Touch, The People of Social Work. Welcome to How We Helped, stories from Eastern Ontario social workers. In this episode, we try to answer two questions at the core of social work. Who becomes a social worker and what's their motivation? In 1966, the Eastern Branch of the Ontario Association of Social Workers updated its constitution and bylaws. In describing the group's purpose, the wording was amended to clearly state that the needs and interests of individual members must be served. As a professional association, the OASW is unusual because we're not only there to provide services for our members, for the profession, but also to advocate for our clients. And that's not usual in the profession association. It's usually the professional association wants to advocate just for their membership. Former Eastern Branch President Beverly McIntosh describes a laudable goal, but what would compel someone to join the group? Often one of the main reasons that social workers joined OASW is because they wanted to speak with one voice on issues of housing, poverty, racism. In my day, the big issues were um, recognition of uh, gay rights, 
So again, looking at a systems approach, but hauling in the professional association to help us to increase our voice as as speaking as one rather than in, in small pods of interest groups. Speaking with one voice could be a real challenge for the Eastern Branch, but in social work, the grassroots level is where so much of the work is done. It has always been a priority for the Eastern Branch to engage members and put their ideas into practice. In 1971, Eastern Branch President Pauline Van Lammers optimistically looked forward to greater participation and collaboration with members. We feel we have had a busy year and a productive one. Our goal for the future is to have a wider involvement of a larger number of our members to make more impact on the community and to take more initiative in bringing business to the provincial board. With the new structures at the national level and the current review of the provincial structures and revision of bylaws, much strength must come from the branches in order that our provincial association will have meaningful impact. With members working across eastern Ontario, professional, linguistic, and local differences can make it difficult to bring everyone together. Making it even harder, social work can be an isolating career. Working with and fighting for others can be exhausting. A need for confidentiality makes it hard to share the challenges faced. Anne Seymour and Wendy Burkhan are well aware of this. I think as far as an individual, I think we have responsi- We have our own responsibility to go out there and seek services. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity and maybe we're not tapping into the resources and supports that are available. But when you talk about social work being an isolated, isolating field or a profession, I totally can agree with that. I agree with that in the sense that social workers are seen as if we think about from, from an Indigenous lens, if we think about social workers, it's these are the people that we don't want to be connecting with. And so we as a community are putting these negative lens on social workers. And so I think it's only reasonable to suggest that social workers would step back and feel like we don't have a place or where do we belong. And I think it's because of society's, society's view on how they see social workers. But at the same time, I know I was a medical social worker for eight years and I worked in the healthcare profession and I could see how it could be isolating. But again, it's individual in the sense that I ended up working with an interdisciplinary team. So I worked with the doctors. I worked with the medical team. I worked with um, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, the nurses. And I think it's an individual responsibility to want to be able to uh, branch out into these different areas so that. You can create your own niche. You can create your own supports. But um, not everyone comes from that positioning. So if you're hearing that sometimes it could be isolating, I would not disagree with that. And it can be isolating if you're not taking advantage of what's out there for you. It can be very, very isolating if you're in private practice. Many years ago when I did have private practice, it was a struggle finding colleagues that doing the same type of practice that I could discuss and strategize with. But there are also uh, agencies that will have multiple social workers who will get together at a regular rate. And there's also different groups that are offered through through the association. For example, the, the social work and aging and gerontology, uh, when we did get together we were able to talk to each other. Somebody would say, you know, I'm unemployed. And other people would say, 
you know, oh, we're looking for a new social worker in my department. So it was very much camaraderie. So it depends. To try to overcome this barrier, the Eastern Branch has always organized social events for members. One of the most successful was Supper Club, which the 1994 annual report said was proving very very successful successful as as branch branch members meet informally every three months. There appears to be less need for education, and getting time off work is difficult, but collegial socialization is important in these hard times. The success of Supper Club, and ultimately the Eastern Branch as a whole, came down to the members, the volunteers who gave up their time to support the profession. So who were these people? What type of person becomes a social worker? Current president Wendy Burkhan provides some insight. I would say people that have gone through something and want to see it bettered or changed, advocates, people who feel they've been wronged, and people who want to just help others. You don't have to be a radical, they just want to be in a position to guide other people. Like their descriptions of social work itself, though, social workers have unique ways of describing themselves. As demonstrated by longtime social workers Ann Seymour, Lynn Sherwood, and Beverly McIntosh. We have to be patient. We have to provide the opportunity and the space for people to share their stories and be non-judgmental. I got into it because I grew up in a community where there were foster kids. And I grew up with foster kids who were my playmates. And so I cared about what happened to those children and heard their stories about being excited about being allowed to visit their father or whatever. So it kind of sensitizes you to those issues. So when I finished university, I had an interest in working at the Children's Aid and working with children who were in that situation. And when I realized what was going on, it kind of galvanized me into it. And there's there's people who are like that. It's not just a career. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a lifestyle, you know, a calling that you really can't get away from and that forms a big part of my life. I think a mature person, somebody that has the lived experience of pain, sometimes poverty, loss, and the most important thing is to feel that, to get pleasure out of empowering other people. I think that's the quality most uh, important in in a good social worker. The most succinct answer to this question came from Ruth Brown. Now in her late 90s, Ruth was pretty clear in describing social workers. If you want to be absolutely cynical, you could say busybodies, people who want to, you know, (laughs) fix things, sort of. Of course, that applies to Ruth herself, as she took a unique path to social work, starting her career in the midst of the Second World War. My own experience is that I was going to pursue an academic career after I finished college. And I had to get a job for the summer. I had to get a job every summer to 
work my way through college. My dad was a teacher and they didn't have all that much money. So I lived in Sarnia at that point and I went to the local employment office and asked them what job do you have open for the summer and they said but I had already got a scholarship to Harvard so that's what I was going to do in the fall and they said are you over 16 and I'm not very tall so they said certainly over 16 and I've just got a BA so they said oh the children's aid needs somebody desperately and so I worked for the Ottawa Children, Sarnia Children's Aid that summer, going around on a bicycle, pursuing the question of the um, government had a um, grant program for families of soldiers who, who were off at the war and they needed financial assistance. You know, I knew nothing from nothing about any of this. But anyway, I spent the summer in that, and at the end of that, I thought I've got to be a social worker. So I, I went to the School of Social Work. So I don't know what was the impulse there. I guess working with people that changed my direction entirely. Ruth's road to social work is specific to her, but it reflects a reality in the profession that everyone working in the field has been drawn to it. Each person's path is different, shaping their career to their specific motivation. In talking with social workers, it is pretty common to hear about their commitment to tackle major social problems. Alan Moscovich, who taught in the Carleton School of Social Work, is pretty direct in outlining his path to the profession. I got involved in youth work through the Y and also through the scouting movement, which these were common directions at, at the time. And so I, I became involved as a, a, as a youth worker for a lot of social workers, this desire to help people and address major social issues long predates their careers. Take Barbara Merriam, who worked with the Children's Aid Society and got her start volunteering. When I was in university, I, I really didn't even know what social work was, but I had done volunteer work in high school at um, the Y. And then in, during university, I had volunteered at a settlement house in Toronto. I, my undergraduate degrees from the University of Toronto and it's at the settlement house this was for new immigrants or or um, families on welfare it really provided services for the community that's when I met social workers and so I sort of started talking to them and gee it sounded interesting so that's how I ended up in social work Joyce Turnbull started her career after graduating from McGill in 1948 her interest in the profession was peaked a little closer to home. I can think of a time when my mother was on the board of a, an orphanage. I, this was in Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, actually. And um, I went to a few me me meetings of the, of the board, and uh, I got interested particularly in the situation of the children in the orphanage. Then I was also thinking of medicine at that point. Decided it was just too long. <laughs> I had a brother who was in medical school. Then I thought I learned a bit about medical social work and I thought, you know, there's two pieces I could put together. So when I went to McGill, um, my second year placement was in medical um, department of the hospital. Being involved in volunteer work seems to be a common thread among social workers. Graham Roderick may have started his career in 1974, 
35 years after Catherine Ferguson, but both got started in similar ways. I have been involved in a variety of outreach programs at Cinevex. In the summers, I worked at a, uh, a correctional summer camp for juveniles, and I think both of those had a decided influence in terms of my choice of social work. Because the field of practice that I went into in the beginning was uh, young persons, and then subsequently I worked with seniors. I started as a volunteer with the Ottawa Welfare Bureau in uh, 1939. I was finishing my BA at Queen's. We were still in the depth of the Depression. In 39, it still didn't look much brighter. And uh, what was I going to do when I got my finished university? What, what could I do? There were not many prospects. I met a girl in, uh, from Toronto University who was taking social work, and it sounded interesting. It was a two-year course, so two years, two more years at university would keep me occupied. It might turn into something, but it was it was a prospect. Having got the idea, then I started looking into what social work was about, and what I would do with it if I did get a, a degree there. Marg Nelson's career started at a mental hospital, and her commitment to her patients motivated her entire career. I was drawn to the profession because mainly it was mental health that I was interested in, and so that's how I started. That is always a component of any circumstance that a social worker deals with in any case. And the other aspect, of course, was that I wanted to be able to help people. Sheila Baslow, on the other hand, took a rather circuitous career path before starting at Children's Aid in 1955. I knew I didn't want to be a nurse, didn't want to be a teacher, didn't want to be a secretary. Heard about social work, didn't know what it was about, but it sounded intriguing. I was very, very fortunate to have all kinds of diverse experiences in social work. For example, I started off in childcare and I worked uh, with Northern Affairs, set up counseling for the Inuit, living and working in the city of Ottawa. Then I did um, work with Back to Children's Aid again and uh, did work, divorce reports for the court and uh, group work in a maternity home. And uh, then I did research uh, with, I was loaned to McGill for a couple years uh, on a, as part of a research team. And then after that, I was the director of a child abuse demonstration project. It was the year of the child and the children's aid got some money and we did some interesting work. And then after that, I worked as a family, as a conciliator in family court. And latterly, I was a um, medical social worker in surgery, primarily. Sheila's story is an example of how people are drawn towards social work, sometimes without even realizing it. As Roland Lecomte said, Est-ce qu'on choisit une profession où on est choisi? When you're in the profession, you can find yourself doing any variety of things. Take Mary Sinclair, 
who graduated from the University of Toronto in 1950 and got her first job in social planning. My first job was uh, with the, uh, the uh, Social Planning Council of Metropolitan, Metropolitan Toronto, and uh, I was a, a coordinator of the volunteer department. I uh, graduated with my focus on community development and social planning, but I did uh, go into other areas later. I uh, decided that I wanted to also focus on uh, family and children's services and uh, then moved into more uh, staff development and teaching and group work. Compare that to Joan Gullen, who created social programs while working at the Family Service Centre. I got a job at the uh, what was then known as the Family Service Centre. Now it's called the Family Services à la Famille. I was very fortunate to, to be able to develop and define my own job in advocacy, community development, and uh, counseling. I did some counseling, but uh, my major part of my career was in uh, community development and uh, advocacy. And at that time, the United Way funded agencies for that purpose. While Joan and Mary may have been working in different fields, fighting different battles, and advocating in different ways, they both highlight what drives social workers, the need to help. Whether they're pushing for more equitable public policy, working directly with children, or helping patients at the hospital, social workers are united by this goal, a goal that unites all members of the Eastern Branch. Sure, over the years it has been tough to get them all in the same place at the same time, and with such diverse interests, ensuring the branch speaks in a singular voice has been a challenge. But despite the differences, they have come together, whether advocating for each other's causes, offering professional help, or building a supportive social community to overcome what can be an isolating career. Any association is only as strong as its members. For 85 years, the Eastern Branch has pushed to create a professional college of social work advocated on behalf of its members and clients, and fought against social injustice. It was all made possible by the people who, for so many reasons, took the time to help. When I asked Wendy Burkhan what she'll remember about the Eastern Branch, there was only one possible answer. The people that started the OASW, the pioneers that spoke on the videos, they really started fires. They, they changed so many things for all of us. The legacy of age and wisdom, of, of seeing you know, from going pre-vote for women to taking it for granted, you know, the, the changes in children's aid in the last century, all these things happened because social workers were involved. And I think the Eastern Branch has a, a heavy influence.
How We Helped is produced by Sean Graham and the Wiscana Group in cooperation with the Eastern Branch of the Ontario Association of Social Workers. Special thanks to Wendy Burkun, Beverly McIntosh, Anne Seymour, Ruth Brown, Lynn Sherwood, and the pioneers of the Ontario Association of Social Workers, Eastern Branch. Voiceovers by Jill Amantea. Music from bensound.com. Thanks for listening. So there you have it, part two of How We Helped. Again, the episode is a human touch, the people of social work. I hope you enjoyed it. One of the episodes that I'm particularly proud of in the series. So please do head on over to howwehelped.wordpress.com. You can find all of the episodes, again, a five-part series, or just search for How We Helped wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, So wherever you are listening to this right now, Unless you're on the Active History site itself, uh, you can just go and search for How We Helped, get all five episodes in the series. Uh, The next episode in the series is about community and how social workers build community. Uh, That's a really fun one. Then we get into social issues and advocacy to wrap it up. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for checking it out. And please head on over to howwehelped.wordpress.com. Find the rest of the episodes. So that will do it for this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show, wherever it is you get your podcast. Do the likes, the ratings, comments help. It's all about beating those algorithms and helping grow the show and bringing more people to our little community in this corner of the internet. Of course, head on over to activehistory.ca. Lots of great material over there. Yesterday, in fact, another entry into the... Beyond the Lecture series, this one is about insulin and the unessay, and I'm very interested in projects and assignments that people are giving in classes that are not pure historical essays, different ways of sharing history, uh, a lot of uh, great ideas over there, so certainly encourage you to check that out. And of course, when you're over there, you can find all of our past episodes in the podcast section. And as you're looking through that section, if you come up with ideas that we have not done yet or something that you'd like to hear on the show, please do feel free to reach out historyslam at gmail.com or Twitter at the Sean Graham. So that'll do it for this week. We'll be back with you again next week. But until then, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.